Chapter Twenty Four of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty Four, a gloomy retrospect. Pedro Perez and his beautiful wife started for Madrid upon the evening after their marriage. They travelled with all the comfort that wealth can give. Dolores had her mother and her maid as duenna and attendant. They went to the best hotel in Madrid, where, at the instigation of his wife and mother-in-law, Perez engaged the handsomest suite of rooms upon the first floor. His dread of ridicule, his jealous doubts and suspicions, prompted him to hide the treasure that he had won for himself. But some natural pride intervened, and he could not refrain from showing himself in the fashionable drives and promenades with his lovely young wife by his side gradually it became known to all the financial world of madrid that the beautiful girl who went about with pedro perez was actually his wife and visits of ceremony and congratulation became frequent in the amber satin salon au premier madame perez accepted the situation with perfect equanimity and showed to better advantage as a wife than as a beautiful bird in a gilded cage if she was not entirely happy she was at least better contented with herself and her life than she had been in the rue saint guillaume so far from repenting his marriage perez grew daily more devoted to his wife and more anxious to gratify her he submitted to all madame quijada's exactions and allowed himself to be led by the nose by his mother-in-law as well as by his wife and in this placable disposition he returned to paris where he at once occupied himself with the task of selecting a home that should be worthy of a millionaire's young and lovely wife everybody whom he knew in paris had heard of his marriage and he had to submit to the congratulations of his acquaintances which as he was particularly shy were agony to him he also had to endure a good many sly thrusts in the papers and more than one caricature of la belle et la bête but he bore it all and after a week or two consented to mount an elegant victoria with a pair of matchless blacks and to show himself in the bois at the fashionable hour a coupe was being built for dolores and a second pair of blacks was being looked for madame quijada and her daughter being of opinion that a stud to be distingue must be of one colour after looking at a good many houses perez finally decided upon one in the somewhat solitary avenue reifchossen which had been built for a famous actress during the palmy days of the empire the avenue being then known as the avenue hortense and which was at least a mile from the arc de triomphe the house stood at some distance from the road and was concealed by a screen of acacias and other ornamental trees and shrubs the garden had been carefully laid out and the stables had been the particular care of the first proprietor who was a connoisseur in equine arrangements this italian villa with its grounds and dependencies had cost a fortune but it was offered to pedro perez for about a fourth part of the original cost he liked the property in the first place because it was a bargain and in the second place because its solitary position gratified his idea of retirement with the wife of his choice he did not want to live in the heart of paris where dolores might be encouraged to set up a salon and where the men he knew might find it too convenient to visit his handsome wife that solitary italian villa with its screen of foliage inconveniently remote from the busy haunts of men was the very home he desired dolores and her mother both admired the house and both complained of its surroundings the neighbourhood was a desert it was on the wrong side of the bois for fashion and beauty like all bargains the property was hardly worth having for once in a way perez was firm in his opposition to his wife's wish he would buy that house and no other if you would rather go on living in the rue saint guillaume he said i won't interfere 
i detest the rue saint guillaume replied dolores petulantly so the italian villa in the avenue de reifchausen was bought and dolores was allowed to furnish the new house after her own fancy and without any consideration of cost only in one matter did her husband exercise his authority and that was in the choice of the household all the servants were engaged by him at an office in paris but he allowed louise marsay to assist him in his choice and to be present during the negotiations she was to be housekeeper in the new villa having shown a talent for management and economy in the rue saint guillaume madame quijada was allowed to choose her own suite of apartments on the ground floor in a wing beyond the principal rooms which were vestibule salon dining and billiard-room dolores had her boudoir bedroom dressing and bathroom on the first floor while her husband had a corresponding set of rooms in the opposite wing there were two small rooms at the back of the house on the same floor divided only by a narrow passage from the suite occupied by dolores and these were appropriated to mademoiselle marsay a sitting-room and bedroom a servant's staircase at the end of the passage brought her in easy communication with the offices below and enabled her to exercise a useful surveillance upon the household the servants bedrooms were on an upper story almost hidden by the classic ornamentation of the roof an open loggia formed the central feature of the facade and divided the apartments of the master and mistress of the house offering a means of communication in summer-time and a neutral ground where husband and wife might meet in their idle hours dolores was full of plans for decorating this loggia in an oriental style so soon as spring should revisit the land a parisian winter did not promise much enjoyment from an open loggia however architectural and italian the installation in the villa perez took place very quietly though both mother and daughter had suggested a ball or at least an evening party in honour of la pendaison de la cremaillere perez reminded them that they knew scarcely half a dozen people in paris and asked where their guests were to come from if they were to give a party madame perez has only to hold up her finger in order to fill her salon replied madame quijada with dignity or in other words you have but to say to one of the best-known parisians at your club my wife is going to give a party and i want you to send out two or three hundred cards of invitation on her part and the thing is done we shall give music supper and wines that people will talk of for a week and after that everybody in paris will want to come to the villa perez a very excellent way of squandering money and courting discomfort answered perez tartly i bought this house for my wife and myself not for all paris i foresee that we shall be as dismal here as we were in the rue saint guillaume sighed madame quijada who did not forego a mother-in-law's privilege of saying disagreeable things finding that society was still forbidden fruit madame quijada sank into a slough of sensuous pleasures and rejoiced in her luxurious surroundings her daughter's cordon bleu and her son-in-law's wine-cellar she began to regard the midday dejeuner and the seven o'clock dinner as the two chief events of the day she did ample justice to the produce of burgundy and bordeaux nor did she ever forego the dainty goblet of chartreuse or curacao which marked the close of the meal a miniature goblet from which titania herself might have drunk only titania would hardly have refilled the glass so often in the afternoon madame quijada enjoyed her siesta in true spanish fashion in the evening she was more alert and played écarté with her daughter for small stakes which she generally won if dolores would not play there was always the souffre douleur louise who had the whole charge of the household on her shoulders and who had to please the three people who constituted the family 
Madame Quijada had given over the entire duty of housekeeping to her niece, and rarely rose from her easy chair except to be driven in her daughter's Victoria, or to go to a theatre in the luxurious coupé when Perez was disinclined to escort his wife nothing had been heard of leon since his disappearance and his aunt's most earnest desire was that she should never see his face or hear his name again there were episodes in her life which she wanted to forget now that she had attained to that respectability with which wealth can cover the most doubtful antecedents as with a royal mantle it was in search of oblivion that she filled and refilled the little venetian goblet after dejeuner or dinner and there were times when she felt that all the chartreuse the good monks ever distilled would hardly be strong enough to drown certain haunting memories perez peru noted his worthy mother-in-law's indulgence in the pleasures of the table and remarked upon this weakness to his wife if you don't look after your mother she'll take to drinking he said one evening as they drove to a boulevard theatre leaving madame quijada sitting opposite louise at the little card-table with flushed cheek and glittering eye bah if she has just une pointe now and then it can't matter replied dolores carelessly her dinner is the only thing that amuses her you won't let us give parties or know any amusing people you have banished even the poor old du turcs they were dull but they were alive and they were better company than chairs and tables you are very ungrateful dolores perez answered with a piteous look i have refused you nothing except to change my manner of life i have always loved solitude and hated strange faces i should not be a millionaire if i had not possessed the power of self-concentration of living on my own thoughts but now you are a millionaire and three times a millionaire you ought to enjoy life to enjoy life is to live quietly with you to have you all to myself not to see you surrounded with young people who would despise your old husband and teach you to despise him you talk about giving balls dolores can you not conceive what torture it would be to me to see you dancing with young men handsome fascinating unprincipled relentless in their pursuit of the woman they admire men who would talk of you at their clubs compare you with the vilest of your sex discuss your every charm lay wagers about you as to who should be your favoured lover and how soon you could be persuaded to dishonour your husband i could not endure to see you admired knowing what admiration means among the young libertines i meet on the bourse men who seek to make money only that they may squander it upon women a little viler than themselves you cannot understand what an old man's love is dolores how jealous how exacting you forget how poor a recompense age ever gets for its devotion to youth i don't mean to be ungrateful dolores answered with a deep sigh and then she turned her head away from her husband and studied the passing carriages the flaneur upon the broad asphalt pavement the glitter and splendour of the shop-windows shops that seemed designed only for the accommodation of millionaires she was going to the theatre in all her glory of jewels diamond stars in her hair a necklace of single stones each gem worth a rosière's dower diamond serpents in single double and treble coils winding up her slim round arm she wore a simple evening toilette of some black gauzy material but the chantilly lace upon her gown was only second in value to the gems on her neck when a beautiful young woman marries age and ugliness she can at least assert the claims of beauty by spending her husband's money royally 
the theatre was the ambigu where a new comedy of sardou's had just made a hit and where all paris was crowding nightly dolores was indignant when she found that the box her husband had secured for her was only a small one on the pit tier where neither her beauty nor her diamonds could be adequately seen he had his old fancy for these shadowy little boxes where it pleased him to hide his enchantress from the vulgar eye but in spite of these jealous precautions madame perez was already known and talked about as la belle au diamant her husband's reputation as a triple millionaire gave a special interest to her jewels people gloated upon gems which might have cost half a million if perez pleased he could have spent half a million reduced his fortune by a sixth without feeling any poorer he could make as much in a week if he chose to start a new mine said the flaneur on the bourse he has but to write a prospectus and the money pours in like water he has a golconda in his ink-pot while perez and his wife were laughing at sardou's biting wit madame quijada was winning louise marcet's half-francs by her astute and studied play louise took no interest in the game indeed hated all games of cards and only played as a part of her duty in that house where she was the shadow of everybody else's sunshine they had played nearly an hour and a half when the elder woman threw down the cards with an impatient sigh instead of dealing them we have played long enough for to-night louise i am tired of winning such miserable stakes how ghastly the silence of this house is nothing but the tick-tick-tick of that clock on the mantelpiece and the crackling of the logs now and then you may get me a finger of fin champagne i feel very low to-night this house is killing me you ought to be much easier in your mind now that your daughter has been placed in an honourable position now that your conscience is at peace upon her account said louise gravely my conscience don't preach to me about conscience i have done with all superstitious bugbears i finished with them before i left marseilles i have never entered a church since my marriage i was overdosed with religion in my girlhood i married a clever man who soon taught me to laugh at the old fables and were you happier do you think for abandoning the old pathways asked louise gravely arranging the cards with her eyelids cast down as if she hardly liked to meet her aunt's eyes when she spoke of sacred things happier happy happier happiest those are idle words child i don't believe anybody is happy i don't believe in the existence of happiness oh you are wrong aunt there are moments hours days in this life perfectly and beautifully happy days to which one looks back afterwards as to a dream of heaven days to which one looks forward after death hoping that god will give us back that lost happiness in heaven those brief days are balanced by long years of misery but they have been they have been there is nobody on this earth who has not once been happy the word is not an idle invention well i suppose i was happy in my time happy that easter night when jules delmont followed me home from the church door and talked to me while my mother walked on ahead with my elder sister your mother little suspecting that i had an admirer making love to me under cover of the darkness he was only clerk to an avoué but those who knew anything about him said that he was one of the cleverest young men in marseilles and as my parents were only small shopkeepers they did not make many objections to my marrying him we had only a couple of rooms to live in and thirty francs a week to live upon but it was all bright enough for the first year and then and then i found out things about my clever young husband there was more money but it wasn't come by very honestly 
and we had to leave marseilles one night in secret never to go back there we came to paris of course everybody comes to paris and dolores was born in a little street near saint germain l'auxerrois where we struggled on somehow till the end came for my husband the bitter cruel end are you ever going to get me that mouthful of cognac yes yes aunt but indeed you would be better without it how dare you dictate to me i am sick and fainting with thinking of my wretched past get me some cognac this instant louise left the room and returned with a tiny carafe and titania's venetian goblet she did all she could to discourage her aunt's growing propensity for alcohol but she was only a dependent she might remonstrate but she was compelled to obey he was arrested at a low dancing-place among men and women of the vilest character men who were like bad women women who were like vicious men pursued madame quijada helping herself to the cognac with a tremulous hand why dwell upon those bygone troubles i know all the sad story it does me good to talk anything is better than the silence of this ghastly room white and gold so white so cold and cheerless like a room meant for ghosts it is a relief to talk of what i suffered in those days he was arrested for swindling forgery a long series of frauds and he was taken to prison i never saw him alive again he hanged himself at daybreak within two hours of his arrest hanged himself with a silk handkerchief upon the iron bar of the prison grating before he had been examined by the juge d'instruction and before his jailers thought it necessary to take any special precautions against suicide you were much to be pitied aunt said louise quietly putting away the neat little boxes of cards she had heard the story of her aunt's marriage very often of late for madame quijada had grown more loquacious in proportion as she indulged in alcohol she did not talk of these things to dolores who had been brought up in ignorance of her father's character had indeed been brought up to believe that the departed parent was the scion of a noble andalusian family whereas the lawyer's clerk of marseilles was the son of a pettifogging lawyer and the name quijada had been only adopted by dolores's mother when she went to madrid she found the name in a volume of cervantes which she opened at random oh i have had a dreadful life louise i have been surrounded by criminals cried madame quijada after two or three little glasses don't talk of it aunt repeated her niece with a sudden vehemence you ought to be wiser than to talk to me of the past knowing how much i have suffered knowing that i shall never cease to suffer from that bitter memory that the very presence of that man in the room stifles me i cannot breathe when he is near me i feel as if i must fall upon him and kill him as he killed hush hush cried her aunt looking apprehensively towards the door you are right we ought never to talk of the past it is dangerous dangerous in every way heaven be praised we have not heard of your brother for six months we may never hear of him again ah i always dread him most after an interval of absence he will reappear as he has reappeared before or if not we shall read of some crime that has been committed in some foreign city and we shall know that it is his work he has neither heart nor conscience can i ever forget do you think how he killed the man i idolized the best and most generous of men can i ever forget how he used my name name for ever more hateful to me as a lure to draw that good brave man to his death and yet he dares to come into a room where i am he dares to offer me his hand red with the stain of murder 
you have no right to fix that crime upon your brother madame quijada exclaimed angrily there is nothing to identify him with the murder absolutely nothing your name might be used by any one the unfortunate man may have talked about you boasted of his conquests in the presence of his servants of some french or italian butler perhaps who being in the house would know all his master's intended movements and all about the money which was to change hands that day servants are often agents conscious or unconscious in crimes that mystify everybody you have no right to associate your brother with that crime i have the right of my own conviction i know as well that it was his hand that struck the blow as if i had been standing by when the murder was done i have no doubt about the murderer what i want to find out is the identity of the murderer's accomplice before god and man as guilty as the murderer himself who was the middle-aged woman who met robert hatrell in the street and asked him to go to antoinette morel's deathbed who was the woman who used that lure who was the elderly frenchwoman who changed the english banknotes on the riviera can you answer me those questions aunt you whose bread i have eaten the bitter bread of dependence and whose slave i have been ever since my illness left me unable to grapple with the outside world i have been afraid to live anywhere else afraid to be among other people lest in some moment of dark thought i should betray my brother he is of my own blood and i have sworn to myself never to give him up to justice give him up cried her aunt contemptuously why you have not one shred of proof against him there is nothing but your own brain-sick fancies to connect your brother with that englishman's death you are tucky child about robert hatrell your poor brain has never got over the fever that your sick fancies brought upon you and one ought to be patient with you and let you talk any nonsense you like luckily for your brother the police are not influenced by hysterical women they want facts hard facts and there is not one fact to connect your brother claude leon morel with the crime in denmark street or you with the mysterious accomplice said louise perhaps not yet if you were unconcerned in that foul crime why did you both change your names within a month of the murder why was i made to change my name from morel to Marseille and to assume my second baptismal name in place of my first your brother had made himself notorious during the commune he was not included in the amnesty and he could not return to france in his own name he was supposed to have been shot with the others at satory his resurrection would have been dangerous say that the false name meant nothing but how do you account for the sudden change from poverty to wealth you and i were living in an attic in a wretched dirty street in one of the shabbiest dreariest quarters of that great wilderness of brick where we had taken refuge after the troubles here one day you disappeared without telling me where you were going leaving me just a line to say you were going away upon business and might be absent for some time you left me penniless except for the pittance i was able to earn by working for a jewish tailoring house cruel work which wore my fingers to the bone you had been gone a week when i heard some women in the court where i lived talking of a murder i could just understand enough english then to know what they were talking about but i listened heedlessly enough until i heard the name of hatrell not pronounced as i pronounced it yet a great horror came over me at the thought that it might be the same name it was not he who was murdered i told myself i was an idiot to be so disturbed by fear and yet i could not command myself or keep calm while i questioned the women they couldn't tell me who the murdered man was 
only that his name was hatrell they said if i wanted to know more i had better buy a newspaper i rushed out into the street like a madwoman and it seemed to me as if i should never find a shop where they sold newspapers though there were hundreds of shops in the long busy street at last i found a tobacconist where there were a lot of papers stuck in a rack against the doorway i took three of them haphazard and gave the shopkeeper the last threepence i had in the world the pence that were to have bought food for the day i hurried back to my garret as fast as my feet would carry me i thought more than once that i should fall down in the street for my knees seemed to give way under me i would not trust myself to look at the papers till i was safe in my own hole like a wounded animal and then i bolted my door and sat down upon the bare boards and unfolded one of the newspapers why go over all this old ground louise a little while ago you reproached me for dwelling on the past and now you are harping upon old sores you have told me the story often enough louise had begun to pace the room in an agitated manner as she talked while madame quijada sank deeper into her luxurious armchair and sat there looking up at her niece with an awe-stricken countenance as if she had been nemesis time was when she would have put down all such speech as this with a high hand but the growing habit of brandy and chloral had weakened her energies she who once held so firm a mastery over her daughter and niece was now powerless to control either i will talk of these things you have kept me long enough in miserable silence and submission i have been your drudge not because i feared you or valued the home you have given me but because i care nothing for my life and would as soon be a slave as an empress but there are times when the memory of the past is too strong for me i want you to know what i suffered while i was alone in that garret the room comes back to me in my dreams sometimes with a hideous reality and i fancy i'm sitting there in the hot summer afternoon stitching stitching in hopeless monotony as if i were a human machine i must talk of that hideous past it is in my mind always it is a part of me she walked to and fro in silence for a few minutes and then went on recalling her misery step by step the first newspaper that i opened was full of the denmark street murder and the denmark street murder was the murder of robert hatrell i could read english much better than i could speak it and there was not one word of the witnesses that escaped me i saw my own name and understood that it was the name of his poor antoinette which had lured him to the shambles in which he was to be killed and then i knew that the murderer was my brother my brother whose face i had not seen since the first few weeks after we came to london i knew that the pretended watchmaker in denmark street was my brother and that the woman who asked robert hatrell to go to the deathbed of a girl called antoinette must be you and only you and i knew that because robert hatrell had once been kind to me and loved me a little perhaps in spite of the difference in our stations because of those few happy days of my girlhood he had been trapped and murdered it was not till afterwards that i read about the changing of the notes on the riviera but when i did i knew that the grey-haired frenchwoman was you i knew your shifty tricks well enough in the past to know that you would have no difficulty in disguising yourself and aping the manners of a woman of quality that was months afterwards when i was able to leave the french hospital where i was carried raving mad with brain fever after starving in my garret for nearly a week trying to work from daybreak till dark and spending sleepless nights of agony but for the refuge that this blessed institution afforded me i must have died of hunger in my garret or been turned out of doors to die in the street my landlord was a cab-driver 
and he had the humanity to put me into his cab burnt up with fever and delirious as i was and drive me to the hospital where he told them my story i sent you money as soon as i had settled at madrid where i went in the hope of getting help from an old friend yes your letter telling me to go to madrid and enclosing the money for the journey arrived after i had gone to the hospital the letter was given me when i recovered my senses and when i was able to travel i set out for spain in madrid i found you established in very different quarters to our garret in the minorias your old friend had been very generous to you you who had been nearly starving in london were able to make a very good figure in madrid able to send your daughter to a convent school you who were living on bread and water before robert hatrell was murdered do you suppose i ever doubted where your money came from i knew from the beginning that it was the price of blood you called me mad when i refused to eat or drink with you while your prosperity lasted you laughed at me because i preferred a crust of bread in my garret to your dainty fare when your money was gone and you were again reduced to poverty my mind was easier i could better bear to live with you and then i grew fond of dolores she at least was innocent of all evil and so i learned to bear the burden of my life you are a fool muttered madame quijada hastily i have heard all this rodomontade of yours so often that i never think it worth my while to argue with you just give me your arm to help me to my room before dolores and her husband come home from the theatre these rheumatic knees of mine will hardly carry me upstairs without assistance you are a fool louise you might be a milliner's drudge toiling among a lot of other drudges at this day if it were not for your cousin dolores and me i might have been lying at the bottom of the seine long ago if it were not for dolores answered louise gloomily her love has been the only bond that held me to life End of chapter twenty four